Hello everybody and welcome to my brand new podcast. Music to live for with Shanti, it's me, Shanti, a Swiss musicologist and stage manager, talking with different artists and discussing different topics belonging to the music business. Today I'm joined by my friend Cassie and together we discuss our passion for new metal and what inspires him to improve as a drummer. He's currently looking for a new band, so if you are interested, don't hesitate to contact him. So let's go! Check this out! Hello everybody and welcome to this brand new episode of Music to Live For with Shanti. Today I'm here with Cassiano Toma, my friend Cassie from Basel. Um, what can I say? I met him on a concert years ago. I can say like for sure 10 years ago. And since then we just hang out and all the time talk about music. So hi Cassiano, how are you doing my friend? Hey, hi Shanti, I'm doing great. Thank you, how are you doing? Yeah, oh fun, I'm so happy that we have this chance to talk on a podcast because as I said, uh, all the time we met, uh, we always talk about it. This is, this is something important to us. It's a, you comes out with new, new bands or new style uh, or new influence and I'm always curious to, to know what Cassiano is listening to right now. So I told you are you're one of those person that I want on my podcast because music to live for Shanti brings my friends on the mic, uh, the people I met through music and through my job and the best experience ever. So uh, I'll let you introduce a little bit for the audience. Who are you, man? Well, <laughs> I'm who am I? I'm uh, Cassie. I used to. Um, be the vocalist for Spits and Blood back in the day, you remember. Um, I'm originally a drummer, um, playing a little bit uh, like with those people and with those people. Currently, I'm not in a band, but um, well, yeah, I live for music, as you know. And what is there to say? I don't know. It's always so awkward when someone tells you to introduce yourself and then you ask like, who the fuck am I, you know? No, but this is just cool. You, you, you said you were a singer. I remember your band. It was a beat down metal core, the golden age of our core. I remember the concert yeah, at the yeah. Villa Rosenau. A shout out to the friends of Villa Rosenau and all the people who went to concert of Terpsichore booking. Um, yeah. That was something. I mean, we were friends because we knew we were listening to the same kind of music. Uh, we Even if we had different point of view on different situation and stuff, but those moments were really strong. I, I found uh, like one month ago before moving um, a picture of us uh, at the Villa Rosa now. At the time, I remember I, I had an accident snowboarding and I broke my leg, my knee. And I was there at the, um, taking the money from the people coming at the concert. And, and I remember we take, took this picture and it's a fun one because uh, years later, it's definitely one of those pictures that say, oh, those were really good moments. But the best thing is that we're still here. We still have passion. We grow up, we grow older, but 
we still have the passion for that. And that's great. Yeah, man. I know exactly which picture. I remember this one. And funny you say that because um, I remember it wasn't, it was the second or third concert we were at uh, Villa Rosa now where I broke my arm actually. And we performed and I had a broken arm. And so as we did beat down, you know, we were uh, strongly into moshing and, and stuff like that. And I think there's still a video on YouTube if we search for Spits and Blood. I don't remember the song, but it's at Villa Rosa now. And uh, I went into the pit like with with um, the, the broken arm and shit. <laughs> and I remember the first concert, the very first concert we did was also mm -hmm. in Villa Rosa now. And our guitarist at the time, Romano, um, we were getting drunk because we were kind of nervous, but happy at the same time. And I don't remember why, but we, we made a race and we started racing. And, and I, I don't know why, I can't remember. As I said, we were drunk. And all of a sudden I, I, I run and run and run and I don't see no Romano anywhere. So I turn around after I heard some, some thumping noise and it was just like face planted to the floor. All the hands, both hands like open wide and the next day was the concert. But he, he played through it, man. He, yeah. he toughened it up and his palms were like actually open. It was so nasty. And um, I guess karma got me back <laughs> because I was, um, I thought it was kind of funny. <laughs> and then, yeah, two conscious later, I broke my arm and had to perform with a broken arm. But you know how it was back in the day. We were angry, we were violent. But it was fun. It was good. I missed yeah. those days at Villa Rosa now. Yeah, it, it was definitely a nice uh, little small club, let's say, of people, you know. And it was funny because at the time we were, we were organizing hardcore and metal concert. Uh, but And then after that, it was like DJ coming in. And so there was totally another kind of uh, audience. But... Yeah. The coolest yeah. things is that sometimes people coming from the DJ set uh, were already there during the, the concert and they were they were happy to be there. Like, oh, cool, different kind of music, something new, new peoples. And, they, you know, there was a, like a positive vibe. I come from um, a part of Switzerland where it seems that you have to choose uh, which kind of music belongs to you. You know, if you're the better rap guy, if you're the punk, if you're the metalhead, uh, if you're the, the gabber, uh, I have to be honest, I grew up with Thunderdome. Um, I, I, I saw Scooter live in Zurich um, and then Metal came later, but I'm more a punk rock kid, you know. But um, uh, this just to say that here in Basel, I just felt myself so comfortable being able to enjoy different kind of music and, and be able to talk with people, but even if they were there, as I said, for a DJ set, minimal DJ set. And it was always fun time. Definitely. It was definitely a great moment. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, uh, we are talking in the past, not because 10 years passed by, but because Wheeler Rosenau is no more there. Uh, yeah. It burned down. Um, we can talk about conspiracies. I don't know, because it was like a occupied place. But these guys were really cool. Like... Um, really open-minded um, and the place was really 
really cool. I mean, it wasn't all destroyed and dirty. It was really a home, a home of some people. And uh, man, I'm, I well, was so I was so shocked when I heard you know Bill, Willa Rosenau is on flames and say, I mean, in some way you could expect this, but on the other side you said, come on, no, because since then I, I guess we we had some show uh, in Irschneck. There's a small um, venues in town in the Klein Basel, but it wasn't the same feeling. It wasn't no, the it, same feeling, right? Yeah, it was, but it was kind of dirty and destroyed, but in a good way, you know. And uh, yeah, the audience was always like very different. You had punk people, you had sometimes like hip hop people, you had um, the the people who lived there. I remember one time we were at the show. We didn't play, but we were there, and there was that that guy that no nobody knew. He just came with the bike and was knocking on the front door. And all of a sudden he parkoured like up the, the, the place. You had like, like a balcony and it was so fucking fast. And he was like, jump, jump, jump. And up there and he entered the house. We were there like, what just happened? You know? Yeah. And yeah, I remember strongly the place. And it's funny because I, yeah, I remember it, it was used to, um, well, the government, I think it wanted to, to bring down the house for, for, for all the time I can remember. It was always like this problem house, Villa Rosenau, and it was always occupied. Mm-hmm. But it, it was kind of inevitable that it had to go. But uh, I remember when I, when I heard that it was definitely gone. It was, yeah, it kind of struck me up. I was sad. Because yeah. all, all the good memories, like, yeah, That's 10 it. years back. That's it. All the good moments. All the good moments. But, you know, um, now people, the audience can see it, but we are uh, chatting on Zoom and I see you through the video and I saw you, your tattoos. And one of your tattoos that I really like is the one of the Corn album cover. I don't, I, I honestly, I don't remember which album it is. It's the uh, Untouchables. All right, it's untouchable, and it's it's really nice, and and something that I um, always uh, I don't know why in my mind Cassiano metalcore, but also Cassiano and Corn. I don't know you're you're the Corn guy <laughs> for me, you know, like and yeah, let, let's talk a little bit about new metal because um, when we were preparing this episode, uh, I saw you wearing the Led Zeppelin shirt and everything, um, but let's be honest, we we had the chance to grow up as a teenager in a period where new metal started to be a thing. Uh, there was a lot of the crossover change a little bit uh, from Rage Against the Machine into real metal mixed to hip hop, like names, Seven Dust, Papa Roach, Linkin Park, Korn. Um, Whoa, man, there is a lot of, a lot of band. He's, he's a, he started this brand new genre of course, mainstream bands just like Limbitskit just just give uh, to all around the world a taste of it. But this sound to me was kind of revolutionary because it combined to me uh, the passion, you know, for for some rap music and that style, but also heavy guitars, heavy riffs, and drum. Um, yeah, you know, you're a drummer too, you know, the the, the kind of beating. 
And um, yeah. only later I, I, I discovered that like Public Enemy uh, did it with Anthrax, uh, like what Harrowsmith with Run DMC did it. But already at the time, we are talking, I guess, at the end of the of the eighties or beginning of the nineties, it was a, it was like a shocking because there was this this idea that yeah, if you're a metalhead, why you mix with other stuff, you know? But I think this is a process, you know, that the way that you want to explore and to combine passion. In the end, when you now you have all these documentaries uh, about bands that now turn 40, 50, and uh, well. To be more precise, I, I, I saw and I really enjoyed the last documentary Beastie Boys released. And it was interesting to see how these guys in New York just um, mm-hmm. just grow up with this in this sound, the era of punk and hardcore, but then they want to switch into, into hip hop and uh, and they built their own sound, their own way to, to create this music. Uh, what wh- what is your connection to corn? What is your connection with this kind of music, man? Well, corn was one of those bands who like introduced me to to let's say alternative music, you know, um, and also metal in general, but especially alternative music, like something different that you wouldn't hear from well either your friends or your classmates or just the people around you. And growing up, growing up in a small like town in Switzerland, depending on where you're from, you just like discover this music and it connects with you some in some way that you can't connect with with the world. So that's how it spoke to me. Like um, I, I was never the kid that would fit in. I wanted to fit in, and as I grew older, I, I embraced that position of outcast that you just don't fit in, and and you drive on, on that, you know, but the first like encounter I had with those outcast mentality, like you belong somewhere where you don't know where you belong. And it was through music like Korn or especially later on Slipknot, you know, where it became a little more aggressive and you had just like an outlet for all those negative emotions that you go through, through your life, you know, me as an um, half Italian, half French kid growing up in Switzerland. Well, not racism as you know it, but it was kind of, you know, you just had that, that feeling that you don't belong anywhere. Yeah. And well, metal especially was like there for me when nothing or no one else was, you know. And well, the crossover also like Limp Bizkit and the mixture of hip hop and, and, uh, and metal. Well, I grew up also with hip hop. So, but like the, more like the urban or underground stuff, like, you know, typically Wu-Tang, Cypress Hill, Dilated Peoples. And so I thoroughly enjoyed that crossover. I also learned later on that it, it began, I think with um, Public Enemy and Anthrax because they grew up in New York and Scotty and the guitarist of Anthrax was a huge fan of hip hop and grew up with hip hop also. And it was kind of his idea just to, to mix those things. And um, they were credited later on, but he kind of refused like to credit it. Said he takes it as it is, but it wasn't his idea to 
launched this this whole new thing, new genre. It was just coming out of his head to to embrace the music, to keep an open mind about um, whether it's hip hop or uh, it's metal or anything like this. So I know that new metal has uh, gained a lot of uh, hate from the metal community, especially, but. For me, it was like the gateway to to other kinds of music. It was mm-hmm. this music where, as you said, we grew up on that just came out and was completely different from everything we heard. And especially after the 90s, where for metal in general, it was not a good time period. Um, well, new metal was this new thing that was some somehow commercialized but somehow still like fresh and and it was just a bunch of angry young people trying to find a way to to express themselves yeah i remember when linkin park uh, released uh, this great album that is hybrid theory and uh, mm-hmm. um, people say oh yeah i love crawling but i don't like one step closer because he's screaming too much you know like <laughs> there yeah. was i think this is interesting because uh, in the end uh, even if a lot of metalhead criticized this period or this kind of band, in the Toast band brought a lot of fans to heavy music in general, you know, like it was like an easy step to get in into this new circle, in this new style. Yeah. And this is this is how it should be, you know, like you need always um, somebody, uh, I like this idea of somebody who gives you like a visit card and, you know, you got this, you know where to find that music, you go in that direction and then it opens you another, totally another world. Uh, in my experience, um, I, I remember it was the year where uh, Iowa, Slipknot, were released Iowa. And um, honestly, honestly, uh, I remember having, I was in a, in a music shop. I mean, for those who don't know, a music shop was <laughs> was a shop where there was a lot of CD and help it, and and you could go with your pack five or all packet with the and and then you you go there and the guy put you the CD and you can hear with the earphone while yeah, with yeah, headphones, just, you know, I just like this is how I spend my Saturday morning and. Um, so I remember this this crazy intro with DJ and the, uh, now I can talk more serious, like saying Sid spinning the records and everything with his sounds. They're quite interesting because of what you know his ambient sound, his white noises, his crazy stuff. And then he stopped it and it started people with gold shit. Like yeah. <laughs> oh my god, I it was the first time for me listening to double bass drums so fast, screaming yep. so loud. And I remember, well, whoa, I like it. (laughs) And then it goes in that direction. Uh, But it it created like a lot of um, definitely a strong subculture, I think, in the way, uh, what do you wear? Um, Yeah, this kind of definitely style a a lot, I think. More as we are used to see now, it's not just music. But uh, artists present themselves with uh, some kind of clothes or some ideas and everything. And that period, I, to me, was like the first time, you know, see you guys like more cholo style, like in L.A. and everything. Yeah. And um, mixing this, uh, making this kind of music. Um, and interesting is that there is a band right now 
Shout out to Tetrarch. They are a great band. Young guys from the States doing some, I will say, metalcore, but with influence of Slipknot and Deftones. Uh, so to me, those riffs remind me of those of 10 years ago, but in the end, the product is really fresh. And this is really interesting. That means that there's a lot of band uh, out there that are still uh, paying respect or being influenced by, by this period, you know, because uh, I noticed that, um, you, for example, you're wearing a Led Zeppelin shirt right now and I know Led Zeppelin, I know the name of some members, but I have to be honest, and if you ask me, please name four song, <laughs> right. you, you, lo you lost me. So uh, the fact is that, um, yeah, it, it was like, this is what now with 35, I can say this, this belonged to my, to my youth, you know? That was mm -hmm. in yet. Even if the, after that, I, I really enjoyed the hardcore and the New York scene and everything. But he, truly speaking to me, in the end, what makes me go in that way? It was new metal. It was this new wave, this new sound, and this belonged to the end of the '90s, beginning of the 20th century, you know, 21st century. Sorry, and this is to me still, still always amazing. You know, like. Really, really just put some up. I just spoke this year, uh, the uh, the LP from Ebriteri and from Infest, from Papa Roach, because they're cool sound, you know. I don't know, still still something to me. And I, I was talking with another friend of mine from the States, um, and he was telling me the same, you know, like, okay, you know, we are used to listen to a lot of heavy bands or more metalcore, breakdown, uh, beatdown, as you know. And But uh, we can't deny that this band got a, a huge influence on us. <laughs> so this is, this is, this is incredible. Like, but you, you said you were the singer, lead singer of a beatdown band. Um, This was, as I said, 10 years ago, if you could, would you like to sing again in such kind of band? Or do you think that this was just a phase, let's say? Of, of course, a good experience, uh, thank you right now, but would you like to, to go on stage and be in this kind of, in this kind of, of sound and, and, and music? I don't know, man. I, um, it, it wasn't a phase as that, but... I don't think I could do it anymore because I'm not in that uh, mind space anymore, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and just to, to fake it, you know, to fake that, that anger that we used to have, that used to drive us, I, I don't know, it, it wouldn't be the same product, you know? And especially I wouldn't want to make that kind of music anymore because it's, it's not that challenging. It's, uh, you, you are everything with the core scene a little bit and that this may sound a little controversial, mm -hmm. but you are, I feel it anyway, like that, that you are in that compound, like little square box where you have to fit in, you have to obey to certain rules. Otherwise it wouldn't be this or it wouldn't be that. And well, as you said, your influence like new metal was also for me, but I went way back. Mm -hmm. I especially enjoy everything that was in the 90s, even though it was a, 
a dark time for metal, but especially those old Deicide records or Morbid Angel or everything like the old school death metal. This this is what I really enjoy today. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, I want to go back to the drums, man. I, I would like to shout a little again, but um, I don't know. If it was with the same people from back in the day, we would revive Spits and Blood. I wouldn't say no, just because, you, you know, you were there, the memories. And uh, the sound was good, man. It, um, but if I should choose or if I could say I want to do this or that, it would definitely be like a nod to old school death metal, but more in a brutal way, mm-hmm. but with influences, you know. Yeah. You can't do like only death metal or black metal or this or that. It has been done before, you know, and you have to bring some kind of freshness to it. Because otherwise you're just copying stuff that influenced you, which isn't bad, but you don't bring the movement forward. You just redo stuff that other people did. And um, some people take pride in that, but some people could be offended by it, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in the same way, I feel like if I listen to something that does sound good, but I have heard it, heard it before, it just doesn't appeal to me anymore. It it has to have something special. And the, the whole business today is moving so fast with mm-hmm. all those um, like streaming services and you have to be the first and you have to, yeah. like marketing is a huge part today. I mean, back in the day, maybe you remember like the tape trading things. Yeah. You know? uh, but I... I, like, this I, was I about, uh, sometimes before us, but today it's just very different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is there is like, these artists that they never sold a CD. They are just streaming. Yeah. Uh, what we say heroes is <laughs> is rock star stream stars. I guess. Yeah, and as you said, the, I think people of today um, or just young people of today they can't imagine that feeling where you. I remember the first time where we were at the record shop and. It, it was revolutionary where you could like listen to, to it before you buy it. You know, you could scan the barcode and then put on the headphones, which were like very shitty headphones. Yeah. And like it has, it had no base to it. The middle was like way up, like 110%. Yes. And all the highs were just like some, some early 90s black metal, you know, like Dog Throne and shit. And, but you could listen to it. And I would also spend like a whole eve, uh, a whole afternoon or a whole day in the record shop and just like pick stuff from the covers you would see, you know? Yeah, Especially that, that was a must. Yeah. yeah. It was just, and today is just, I don't know, different. It's different. But, I, w- I won't say bad, but it's, it's just different. And sometimes I had the feeling that we miss the fact that uh, a couple of years ago, Having a CD, an album, uh, was something material, you know, effective. Mm-hmm. You can touch it. As you said, people were working on the artwork. You ask for a artist for that or the picture for that. And some, some artwork became so famous, iconic, I would say. And, uh, and now it's more like how you, what do you wear on your uh, Instagram page and everything. I personally don't care about the stuff because if I like 
the artist, I'm there for the music, not for the looks or, or, or the tattoos or stuff like this. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's a part of it, of course. It's a part of it. No way. But uh, yeah, as you said, uh, scrolling the cities or and looking, oh, discover what is it? Yeah, I don't know the band, but I love the cover. And you go there. Sometimes it was a big delusion and stuff like this, but sometimes you say, yeah, good cover, good music. You know, like that, that was great. Uh, yeah, then, then you would like um, discover something that would sound like really gnarly and, and evil and 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 you would think you you have something demonic or maybe it was it something that was barely legal to to possess and i don't remember i had that feeling the first time but i don't remember which band it was but it was so i think dying fetus i think the first time i heard dying fetus i, I thought they they were murderers or something i, I thought this, this was is this allowed you know <laughs> it was so nasty it was so evil and so extremely fast, like the double bass was something. My first introduction as, as yours was uh, Joey Jordison from Slipknot. Yeah. I've yeah. never heard anything like that before. And then I heard uh, Dying Fetus. <laughs> this was a whole nother level to it. And later on, there, um, I discovered Nile, George mm-hmm. Golias. Like, huge shout out to George fucking Golias because this, this is even another level above it. And this is something today you can't top it anymore. It has done, it has been done before, but I remember the first time you hear double bass, mm-hmm. like, uh, for example, Overkill by Motorhead. Yeah. Then you hear like Raining Blood or Angel of Death by Slayer. Then you hear like the groove sections from, I don't know, Sig by Slipknot. Then Dying Feed is Nile and then it just goes, well, I think Nile is, is like the, the, the limit for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking about uh, fast drumming and like 280 BPM and and crazy stuff like that. But yeah, Uh, it's good to be reminiscing about this, man. Yeah, but you know, the impression that I have for those artists is that they were there doing something that they they believe in it, you know? They They really definitely have a lot of fun doing that and try something new. And now, um, I try to be a little bit critical right now because I am looking on social media, a lot of drummer making video, how to play that. Of course, this could be a good inspiration, a good way to see new techniques and stuff like this. But in the end, it always seems that you need to show you, I mean, more than the way you're playing. And the second time, it seems always like who is challenging who, who is the better I mean, I, I just few, I just saw few young musician, talented young musician, trying to bring a good vibes up there. It seems to me that all are show off, honestly. But yeah, I know what you mean, but it, it depends. It depends on on who, which kind of drummer. For example, Derek Roddy is some someone I, I really enjoy watching because when you watch like tutorial videos of him. And he has such an unorthodox style of, of, of playing. Um, it's really weird. Even the double bass, he has one foot heel up and the other foot heel down because he learned uh, with the left foot on the hi-hat and he didn't change it. And also the blast beats, he, he does like full arm motion, but he plays like 230 BPM, you know, like really yeah. fucking 
Yeah. And um, I don't know, even if he, he did show some, some like exercises you could do, but he would fail. And he would say like, you know, even if I do that with my left foot and my left arm, I, I screw up because I learned just by playing. And it, it depends on what appeals to you because um, I also recognize that if I'm doing exercises on the drums, it helps me somehow. But um, after seeing that Derek Roddy video, I just was like, you know what, fuck it. I'm just go play and turn up the BPM until I just break. I just, mm -hmm. I can't do it anymore. Yes. Because you have to be comfortable. You have to be relaxed when you, when you play, especially fast. But um, sometimes, you know, you want to just turn, turn things up and, and see how far you could push it. And um, I don't know. I just started to do a little exercises, warm up as we get older, you know. <laughs> and, but then I wouldn't dwell too much on, on like music theory, which was never something I had huge interest in, I'm afraid to say. But I just did, did by playing. I, I learned um, almost everything by just playing it, by just, you know, by ear and just like mimicking it. And same thing with the guitar. I had to pick up a guitar when I um, moved to my first apartment because the drums can be pretty loud. And uh, then I just, uh, what was it? Um, I think Bullet from a Valentine, the, mm -hmm. the Poison album was like the first stuff I tried to mimic on guitar, but just like without the harmonics, just the the notes you would like really hear. Yeah. And not totally off with a little like um like the smallest little Marshall amp. And when you would turn it on it would sound like uh, an old fridge. And the sound it would make was, was it sounded like, you know, uh, that Dick Dale song that comes in uh Pulp Fiction, it was yeah. just like that. And I thought, yeah, man, this is crunchy. This is like metal. But um, that also, I, I, I wouldn't watch too much like music theory or how to do things. I would just, when I didn't know how to do something and I was stuck at a point, then I would, I would look up, um, well, back in the day, we didn't have YouTube like today. But uh, I don't even remember how it did it back then. You know, without YouTube and all that, that stuff you have today, you had to be, uh, you had to be more, you had to Creative. bring fantasy to it because you had to discover it yourself, you know? Yes. But today I'm grateful for some, some tips I could look up online. I'm not going to lie. But yeah, that's, but that's for sure. I mean, it's the way you use it. I, I think that musicians should be like uh, sometimes enjoying a lot, going by heart doing what they like and you see I have friends playing pianos and uh, when they play sonata really difficult but it seems like they're not touching the, um, the piano or they're just flying and you see this is the, where the passion is but then you talk about that and they say you know the hour I spent uh, for the technique I think this is the, the, the you, are, you arrive at the moment where you're, you see that you need to improve And then there you need to go and see, you know, uh, the technique, uh, looking for the timing from, from, from an easy time to even faster and faster. Nowadays, looking on YouTube for advices and how to control that, how to uh, hold your sticks and everything. But first of all, I think uh, we don't have to forget that it's art, it's music, and 
just go by heart is is the best thing you can do, you know, like and combine those things, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when, when I was a, um, a little kid, I I used to rock a, a, an MP3 with with 128 megabytes. It was just like an album and a half you could do on that, <laughs> you know. But I was always interested in in how um, in the in the songwriting process, not not the lyrics, but the song. Like, how did you do the intro? Um, why did you do the intro like that? And and what part follows? And and what is like the chorus? And which part comes again? And sometimes you play with with um, the same part, but it's like the same riff, but the drums switch it up a little bit. And I was as a little kid, I was so interested interested in that and um i remember when we used to to visit my family you know in in france for example we would drive by car like an hour and i was like that that anti-social little kid who wouldn't talk because i was in the back of the car with um with my headphones in it i did the same (laughs) my parents sometimes would get really mad because um they thought it was it was kind of not mean, but you know what I mean. But I was just like, leave me alone. I want to listen to Slipknot, man. Just and and that there be, began, I think, my passion for especially um, metal music because I always it appealed to me how it was written. It was like more honest than than like house music, for example. Not to shit on anyone, I enjoy almost every type of music, but it had something, it had a certain edge to it that I was missing in other types of music. Mm-hmm. Going back, like Led Zeppelin, for example, like yeah. the mu- the songwriting is just, even for today's standards, it's, it's unbelievably good. It's just out of this world. And there began my, my, my interest for, for that kind of music. And with my first band, we used to, do like death metal, deathcore kind of stuff. And there I had like the understanding of music, which uh, my other bandmates just didn't seem to have at, at that point. And for me, it was just like very normal. And they would think that I was very technical. Yeah, you you, you understand it so good. How, how did you know that? And, and th- they would start with music theory without where I would know nothing about, you know, I just would go by heart and, and do what, what for me would feel right. When you play your riff, for example, and then you switch it to the next part and then you feel like that part comes too quick. You have to do like a little bridge or something or, or just play just the guitar. And then you take the drums and the bass and they play the same thing. And then a little break, you can do something with the vocals, for example. And then you bring back the whole piece. And then you have that, that little, like little story that, that has a story in it, you know, like, like a flashback or something in the movie. And then all of a sudden that comes that big breaking point where everything just crumbles upon you. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, for, for me, it started, I think there with, with Slipknot and Soulfly. Yes. Those yes. especially Soulfly because they had that, that South American vibe to it, which it sounds odd for someone who doesn't listen to Sepultura or Soulfly, but it just, it worked so well. That mm-hmm. tribal like percussion and, and his, uh, 
I don't know how this instrument is called, that, that Brazilian, it's, it's, it looks like a bow. Yeah, you know, I know like, what you mean, but I don't know the name. And I, yeah, and, and all that stuff. And, and this was like, I missed that, especially also in, in other times, uh, in other forms of music, because metal was, was for me, um, you always had something new to it, you know, like Slipknot with the, with the scratching and the DJ. For me, someone who grew up with, with like underground hip hop, with this was essential. Um, I really enjoyed that. And uh, Korn, for example, had a song with Nas, Play Me, which all of a sudden like that very heavy riff and a very groovy drum pattern. And all of a sudden you hear the unremarkable voice of Nas. And it was just, for me, it was something, you know, it, it was a dream come true somehow. And then, like I said, Soulfly with, the, with that whole uh, tribal uh, vibe to it. And then Linkin Park, of course, which was, well, I don't, I don't know. If you don't know Linkin Park by, by now, you just, I don't have hope. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. But Linkin Park was so big and so influential. I didn't like the, the last, um, the, the newer stuff they were doing. Yeah. But it doesn't take away, like, what kind of impact hybrid theory and, and Meteora had for me. Because this was also at, at the time where um, I really needed something like that, you know, and especially, I, I mean, Chester Bennington's voice, it just had something that, that spoke to, to every one of us, I think, in, in a way that even if you didn't like metal, like you said, yeah, I like crawling, but he, he, cre he screams a little too much. And, Stuff like that, but you could understand him, you know. Yeah, and I remember. Yeah, the, the, yeah. The day he he passed away, may he rest in peace. It, it, it's, it's something that haunts me to this day. I'm not gonna lie. It's the, the, the like that celebrity death, if you want to call it that way. That that I have still trouble, like like I don't know, figuring it out. It, it, it the the day I learned that he passed away was, I just immediately went back like. 10 years ago, I remember that um, misunderstood little 13-year-old angry kid who felt like he had a friend across the world who was just a one-sided relationship, you know, he was just talking to me, but I felt like he understood me, like even family members wouldn't understand me, you know? Yeah, this is interesting because uh, in between all this... Uh, I would say singer and artist that died in the year, years ago. Um, to me, Chester was also something, it was something that I really said, what, really? You know, like, like it's not that I, you don't care, but yeah, you just say, okay, I heard about that and, and stop, you know? But when I knew it, I mean, I really enjoyed his way to sing, uh, the song that Linkin Park put together. And yeah, in some way it hit hard because it was like uh, a symbol, you know, a people that would you trust that you really say, oh yeah, I really enjoyed the music, the message and everything. And this was special. Uh, you know, you used to hear, uh, I have a good friend. He's like almost 10 years older than me. And uh, he's saying like, um, you know, I remember um, when uh, Kurt Cobain died. I say, I mean, 
I was a child. I don't, I don't remember about that. You know, I wasn't also not listening to Nirvana. <laughs> so, you know, you say, okay, it was also an interesting musician. He did a lot of good music, but hey, I mean, when Chester died, that was the thing, you know? Yeah. But other, another band really interesting are Tool. I mean, as a drummer, or tear kind of crazy stuff in their album, I think. I know the song Sober, mm-hmm. which is an amazing song. I love um, Maynard's voice. Maynard? Yeah. The singer. I just have a blackout with his name. Maynard James Keen. Yeah. Something yeah, like that. Something I'm so like sorry. That, yeah. Two fans, don't, don't murder me, man. No, but the song Sober and especially the music video. I remember at Viva and MTV back in the day after 22. Uh, after 10 p.m., like uh, where the music videos, like the metal music videos would start. And then, yeah, Sober came along. Um, and the song was like, oof, it, it had such an eerie tone to it. The whole song, it was, you felt like it was metal, but it really wasn't. And his hot voice and, and those creepy ass visuals, I, I was. Ah, this is something I have to do. It's on my bucket list, I swear. (laughs) I have to get into it, man. Yeah. Um, And something that I I really remember about Korn is the intro of Falling Away From Me. Mm -hmm. This this guitar. Yeah, I love those those creepy... Things to do with the guitar, and yeah, um, yeah, you were asking me because, um, um, we're talking about the tattoo. Um, actually, the Untouchables album isn't even my favorite album, but it's my favorite cover art. And the, the backstory goes that a cousin of mine from France he used to have, um, the a poster, like a huge poster with that untouchable album. And I didn't know that album, but I was so mesmerized by the artwork. And because in, in France, it was like more normal to listen to metal. Yeah. Like in, in Switzerland, where I grew up, especially, it was, you were like the, the outside loser kid, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was getting like bullied on for wearing Slipknot and Rammstein shirts and shit like that. And uh, so I, I would listen, especially with my cousins in France, this type of music. And there, this is where it came from. I, I think I, no, I discovered Korn from MTV, but I don't remember how. But I listened with them to a lot of Korn and they also had like the albums and they would lend them to me. And just a side note, this is why I take offense and people wearing um band shirts for fashion reasons because those are those people who used to bully people like me for wearing those shirts and had to wear those shirts because fucking Kim Kardashian told them to or something like that I don't know I'm that guy if you want if you walk by me with a Nirvana shirt I'm gonna ask you who the fuck Kurt Cobain is and you're gonna name me three songs I'm safe <laughs> no, everyone can do what, what the fuck they want but you know Maybe you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, 
But if you could give an advice for the audience, pick one album that would you like yeah, to say that is definitely something that you have to listen to. One album that you have to listen to? Yeah. From every music genre? Every music genre. I don't start saying, give me a top three because then things are getting hard. I know that. <laughs> but just, just an album. Go by your heart, my man. One album. Oh, it's hard to choose from, especially with every music genre, but I don't know, man. Um, oh my God. I have so many albums that come to my mind, but I think I would pick something from like Lucille from BB King. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Because this has a soul to it that you don't find in anything else or the first Black Sabbath. I would pick the first Black Sabbath because it has such an impact to the future to come. And it dropped uh, on Friday the, the 13th. So this is cool. But no, I don't know, man. To pick one album is really hard. I have to narrow it down to, to a certain type of, of, of music. Otherwise, it's too hard. But if really open-minded, I would say pick up Lucille by B.B. King and just listen to the first track. Listen to him just talking. And it, he just talks, but it sounds like he would sing. And the other part of the singing is his guitar. And for those who don't know who B.B. King is, is uh, he was a very huge, influential, and extremely talented uh, blues singer and, and guitar player. And I remember my, my sister used to ask me um, who I would think would, was the most talented musician. I would say it's, it's pretty hard to tell it like that, but if you go by just raw talent, I would say B.B. King. Mm -hmm. Because you can play something like Joey Jordison played. You can cover... Um, a Morbid Angel song. You, you can uh, play something, Nergal from Behemoth plays on guitar. You can cover everything, but you can't play the way B.B. King used to play his guitar. It's just not possible. It, it, has, it just haven't, hasn't been made before. Like, you hear from the first tone of the guitar, you know, that's B.B. King. You just straight away, you know, and even with his voice, With the voice, I tend more to Muddy Waters, but B.B. King is, for me, the most talented musician. And also, and later on in life, a huge um, influence just by the way he approaches the, the music. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's interesting because, once again, we see how, I don't know, if it's not just because we are growing up, growing older, get mature, wiser, but... I think when you like listen to a lot of music, you start recognizing what is really important or what is important to you. I mean, what do you like in one specific record? And then you go, you go back in time looking if you can find those feelings in, in older albums. And then you discover the path that created that sound that initially gave you that, that spine, that chill. And yeah, man, 
This is so good. And I'm thank I'm so thankfully that you accepted to be part of the podcast because I guess we brought we we broke out a lot of good thing. And it always a pleasure to me to to share my passion, the way and the fact that I like to, to talk about music and different point of view uh, with my friends. So um thank you very much, Cassie. I mean for those who know, as I said, you are one of my best friends here in Basel, one of the first person I met coming here, starting my studies. And uh, I don't know, you always be there. We still sharing the passion for music. And so this, it was something that we definitely had to do. So thank you very much. Hey, it was my honor being here. Thank you, man. And to the next, I don't know, 15 years, maybe. How long has it been? 15 years, yeah. I don't remember. I just, just a fun story how I used to match Shanti. <laughs> it was, you were always, always very nice to me. But before I knew you, um, I remember like the, the straight edge scene was, was very rough back then. And I, I was asking about you, like, um, you know, that, that guy that, uh, who is that? Oh no, he's uh, that, that's Shanti, but he's straight that she's gonna fuck you up, you know. And I was like, oh shit, okay, I don't know. And then you approached me with like the sweetest voice and with a smile that would just like the, the loveliest smile. And, and I don't remember what we were talking about, but it was straight up like music and do you enjoy the concert? And uh, I don't know. And uh, like two or three weeks later, I would ask you, like, I thought you were like that aggressive militant straight edge I'm gonna beat up everybody guy and you would you would just laugh like no that's so not me that was so funny man check this out My good Italian friend Angelo, aka Xuna, launched his first hip-hop album and honor us with a track of his own. From the album Doom Rap, this is Vivo Mentre Scrivo. Scendo dalle tenebre quando meno te l'aspetti Alla villetta per corandea e altri due reietti Se pensi che m'arrenda ritenta Sono morto ai 18, risorgo ai 30 Sofferenza, state of mind, put this life on the grind Ennesimo via vai che purtroppo non va via mai Messo nel tumulto, vesto al lutto, scendo col culto Al minimo successo è chiaro che esulto Ho visto la luce, mi ha mutilato Ho visto il buio, mi ha bagliato Ciò che sono, lo sono sempre stato Il mio essere intaccato dal mio passato Provo orrore per i vostri corpi senza cuore Ennesimo avventore senza bagliore Nell'epoca dei tutti fuori per il contante Io resto qua e come buio scrivo rime col sangue Vivo mentre scrivo, scrivo mentre vivo Il giostro compulsivo dal suono abrasivo Vivo mentre scrivo, scrivo mentre vivo Sempre scrivo Sempre recidivo, vivo mentre scrivo, scrivo mentre vivo, il giostro compulsivo dal suono abrasivo, vivo mentre scrivo, scrivo mentre vivo, sempre scrivo, 
sempre recidivo uh. Questa merda fa podare zombie all'obitorio Rime incise nella carne con rasoio Ogni giorno muoio al buio del mio pensatoio Lavo i panni sporchi del mio sangue in lavatoio Mi trovo in fondo al corridoio Appeso alla mia cinta di cuoio Ingoio l'odio e mangio carne da coltoio Scrivo con il sangue sul mio calamaio C'ho il cappuccio sopra il cranio Felpa nera come un saio Tramando i posteri per tutti rinnegati Quelli nati condannati ad essere sbagliati per sempre Grido in faccia a questa vita che mi prende a coltellate nel ventre Mentre la fisso sorridente Perché fondamentalmente io non provo niente come un re di vivo, ma semplicemente Man, io vivo solo quando scrivo E il resto mi fa schifo Vivo mentre scrivo, scrivo mentre vivo Il tasto compulsivo la suona abrasivo Vivo mentre scrivo, scrivo mentre vivo Sempre scrivo Sempre recidivo, vivo mentre scrivo, scrivo mentre vivo, inchiostro compulsivo dal suono abrasivo, vivo mentre scrivo, scrivo mentre vivo, sempre scrivo, sempre recidivo.